Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Thanks for joining another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. It is your host, John Cutton, with my favorite guest in the world, Mr. John Randall of Extraordinary Advisors. Uh, Johnny, thanks for coming on again today. You are a multiple, multiple, multiple repeat offender. And uh, maybe you could just say a quick hello to the audience and then I'll kind of frame out what we or what you, I should say, are going to wow them with today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's always great to be on these. There's uh, so much to talk through, so much to, to go over. And I love this series, I think is really critical because we talk in generalities uh, to many different practices out there. And some things might be more relevant or less relevant to others. So I like that we're going through the different phases and levels of practices and really hitting home at what's relevant to them. So it's going to be another great one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. And uh, what's great, as you said, it's a series. So, um, you know, we've all heard that old saying, you could either go an inch wide um, or a mile deep. So I think on this one, we go an inch wide and a mile deep as opposed to <laughs> just a mile wide is actually the right way to say it as I think about it. But you all know what I meant. Uh, I was just telling John, I'm groggy this morning. I don't know why I'm tired. It's a little rainy, tough week. Uh, so uh, John Randall's uh, uh, excitement and energy is <laughs> contagious. So he, as promised, by the end of this episode, my voice is going to be stronger and I am going to be pumped up. So, um, you know, today in this series, we are going to talk um, and really focus on kind of that next level. So to bring everyone back, we kind of talked about that, you know, call it zero to a million in production as an advisor. Uh, in our first episode and our second episode in the series, we talked about that million to two or two and a half million dollar producer. And then today, I think is really the place that John um, probably specializes the most, right, is how do you get um, that advisor to that two and a half and five million dollar, which is where we hit a little of this last time. Just a lot of advisors get stuck because it's different work. Uh, that you need to do at that phase. So, John, I'll throw it over to you. Maybe you can just give everyone kind of like, who is that advisor, that two to two and a half to $5 million producer? Like, what is she or he kind of feeling? And like, where are they trying to go? Yeah, these are great businesses that have really, you know, figured out how to get to multiple millions in, in revenue, which is really fantastic. Um, it, in our uh, consulting bar, we, we do work with a lot of people at this level that have either, you know, built up to this level, get stuck, or, you know, they built this level, say, hey, we want to go past 10 million, we don't know how. So uh, we're really familiar with this group. But I would say a lot of them have figured out how to bring in assets, right? There needs to be a lot of assets for the firm to manage to generate this much revenue. So usually there's some source, there's some way that they've discovered uh, they've had success with that's gotten them to this point. So there's a lot of good things happening. Uh, there's definitely, and, and it, it's rare that uh, individual advisor can produce this much. It happens. 
right? There are some boutique practices that just have a specialty niche and they're all super high-end clients with a lot of wealth and they generate a lot of revenue off each client. There's some of those out there, but typically you're seeing, you know, one or two other advisors on the team, maybe more on the team to really do all the servicing. And that's where the, the complexity comes in. As we started to talk about in the last series, it gets a little bit more complex as you add more people. So a lot of good things going but this is the phase where there starts to have the need for some systems, some processes that aren't as needed in the early stages. Early stages are more about, you know, let's get some growth, let's get some assets in the door, let's get some revenue going. That's more of the focus. But as you grow here and you have more people, there is the need to get people on the same page as a business, how you operate, all of those things. So we'll, we'll talk about some of those areas as we dig through these topics, but at a high level, there's some good things going, but it's also the, the you know, some of the gaps they have are exactly what prevents them from going to the next level. Yeah, no, completely aligned. You know, John, I, um, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast, I'll actually give a shout out, a great podcast um, that I've started to listen to uh, is called The Game, The Game, yes. and it's Alex Hermosi. I think I might have passed that one along to you too, John. Yeah, some of the love it. Folks that we uh, we coach together in the mastermind group, and like two or three of them actually uh, hit me back that it was really good, which was kind of cool. But um, but I think it was Alex, who's an interesting cat, and uh, you know, I, my 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 binge listening has been a lot of his podcasts over the last month or so. Um, and he described it this way, John, it's funny, it's kind of what you were just saying, um, but he was saying it not from a financial advisory practice perspective, but any business. And he said zero to a million in revenue for most businesses, his numbers are a little different than ours, right, but are all around um, its sales, its marketing, its grit, its hard work, its um, you know, kind of just being that unique person that could build something. And that's, that's, it's all around you and your, your ability to execute. Um, and then what he talks about is that million, he calls it million to 10. Um, but again, professional service business is a little different, right? Because different profit yeah. margins, and you're not selling widgets, right, etc. Uh, but he talks about it, as this is where um, you need to have a really strong deliverable meaning your in our business your client experience your delivery your systems your processes actually differentiate you from everyone else so it goes from you being a marketing machine right yourself and good salesperson to the business actually growing itself because you give a referable experience, right? More people are gonna refer you to clients, an accounting firm might wanna you know, partner with you, another advisor might wanna join you or allow you to acquire their business because what you do, do is differentiated. He says that your widget is better, right? So you, 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 you know, think about it from a normal company, not professional services, Johnny, where you sell a widget, you do Facebook ads and email marketing and a, a consumer buys your widget, right? And the only way that business grows is you either do more marketing, spend more money on marketing or get better at your marketing or get a better sales process. Or the best way to grow is that widget, once the Randall family received it, 
they told three other people about the widget because the widget was really good, right? And it was made better and it was made different and it solved the problem. So that middle phase, he says a million to 10 and our piece here, it might really be two and a half to five, is yeah. just all about the business growing just because the business is actually good. Um, and then he calls the third phase, which is 10 million in his eyes to 100 million um, as um, it's the the leverability, right? Or what I would call the quantum growth, right? Which is basically, what are the things you can leverage? You can leverage capital, right? Investment capital. You can, in, uh, you can leverage technology that allows you to go faster, more efficiently, uh, et cetera, or machinery, make, make widgets better and faster. Um, and lastly, it's human capital, right? Um, which is people, right? And being able to hire better people or having a proprietary way to, to develop those people faster inside of your organization. So it was super aligned, um, I think, to a lot of the thinking. And um, I just wanted to you know, kind of share that with the group. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. It really is a fundamental in the professional service business. I mean, you're, you're right. We're not selling a widget. We're not selling an iPhone or, or a device. It's, it's a different business. And it really can grow. And you think about just the amount of really good clients that would be part of a business that has two and a half to five million it is a lot of potential to grow right there right? there's more that could be done with those people they could refer to a lot of people it's quite good but the conundrum that happens is people grow to this space and they start losing clients because they're not able to perform a high level of service or, or experience and it goes back to um uh the supernova advisor book by my buddy rob knapp I mean, that's really what he wrote about. It. He got really good at, at, at growing, bringing a lot of people in, and they just couldn't service them all. And people started leaving out the back door. And it's what happens to a lot of these practices, unless there is really intentional focus on what is that client experience? What is the frequency of client contact? What the heck's being talked about in that contact? Is it so valuable that people say, wow, this is better than others in the industry? And it's so great. I'm going to tell others about it. It's yeah. a wonderful fundamental. And I think all the other you know, growth methods kind of come from this, this basic thing. But that should be the tenacious focus for really any practice, but especially in this level, because it's the level where it's difficult to service people. If they're not service well, they're going to leave. They're going to leave and, and find somewhere else, which is certainly happening in our industry in the last six months. People that aren't being serviced, they're finding somewhere else where they will be serviced. They're moving. There's a lot of years the market went up and people were kind of content and they would just say, well, my accounts are going up, so it doesn't really matter. But after a year like last year, the markets aren't great. People start to say, you know what, what am I really paying for? I'm not getting anything. Let me go somewhere where I can get some advice and some service. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's really it's been a big win for those that focus on this, that are good at it. And you know, a lot of firms are hemorrhaging clients that aren't good at this aspect. So, you know, to me, <clears throat> everything ties around this, you know, your, your operational systems, how to get on advisors on board with what you do. It, it really all ties into how you service people, what the experience looks like. To me, that's like the, the, 
like the foundation of the building or the foundation of the business and almost everything can flow on that. It's definitely the most important thing, but it's really critical at this stage. You know, we can dig a little bit more into, you know, the particulars of that, but it's absolutely a critical part to, um, you know, pay attention to and build all systems, what advisors do, everything's got to tie back to this. Yeah, to be, um, to be vulnerable a little bit, as I reflect back, right? And, you know, we're, we're on the other side of this as in my financial planning practice, where, you know, we're doing, you know, 10 or 12 times the top number here in the $5 million business, right? We're a pacing to be over a $60 million business in gross top line revenue. And what's interesting is, you know, I want to say this the right way. Our business did organically grow and does organically grow. Our client experience is strong, right? Mm -hmm. But what I would say is more of our growth has happened, not because of our product and experience, more of it has occurred due to external factors, right? Quantum growth factors like CPA partnerships, which we talk a lot about on this podcast, like practice acquisitions, buying advisors, businesses and merging, et cetera. So the reason that I share that is uh, as I look back and I would love your perspective on it, I think there's, you know, again, these advisors who are you know, my hope is that are in the million to two and a half million dollar space or the two and a half to five million dollar space. I want them to learn from our podcast the mistakes that I've made, the mistakes that you've seen other advisors make as you've coached them, etc. And I want them to become super intentional to be thinking about it and going, okay, let me be self-aware here and look at my business and go, is the experience that I give before I look to scale this thing in other ways through M&A, through adding more clients, through marketing, does it actually provide the level of client experience where we win all of the assets, we properly segmented our client base, and we can actually deliver and scale this where every new client I bring in, I get a 1.5 times factor on meaning I win more wallet share, I charge more for a better experience, or I get introduced to friends and family, as an example. And if you are not there to go to the next level of growing through bringing more clients in, more advisors, more, 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 without figuring that out, ultimately from experience, creates this kind of scenario to pay, paint an image that we've all heard of before of a you know a tractor trailer going 80 on the high, highway and trying to change its tire while you're going 80 because <laughs> you've already built that velocity um you know i said before i'm tired this is a long week that's honestly what i'm fighting right now is just to be vulnerable great business, we're growing, amazing, organic growth is great, inorganic growth is great, but I still see things in my process, in the delivery, that my advisors that work with the clients, their businesses without my support externally are not growing at the rate that I think they should be and I should have done a better job 10 years ago. 
right? So there's hindsight, there's some vulnerability. And um, I, I'd love for you to just, you know, maybe unpack that a little bit. And I think one of the things, John, because um, we've got a few things I know we've said we definitely want to chat through, uh, is maybe you can talk a little bit about how client segmentation and how kind of having the right process in place and kind of development of your diamond and advisors on your team can help ensure that that you know that all those kind of pieces are connected that the plumbing's connected a bit yeah if we, if we go back to this uh, uh, foundation of a of a house or a building the um, you know the the cracks that are there can widen and and cause problems as you add floors on top so there may be some of you that that grew by acquisition to get to the two and a half to, to five million phase and um you're, you're right if there's some cracks in the foundation and you keep adding on floors on top there's going to be issues and and i think about the um you know think about when the freedom tower was built in in new york city i i remember it was like multiple years just them building the foundation because it's such a giant building and there's so many floors that it needed to support. There was a lot of work there. So I, I, I think you're right. I think most of practices experience exactly what you described that there's like a lot of growth of new clients, there's acquisitions, there's things that happen that get to this level, but the cracks in the foundation start to show. So, you know, to go back and to, you know, fill those in and to fix that, that's the way to break through the 5 million phase is you've got to have this solid so you can add more floors on top. So, yeah. you know, just so, go ahead. Yeah, sorry to interrupt there, John. So, you know what I think? I'm going to pull a little bit of an audible <laughs> like I do. I like to keep you on your toes. <laughs> uh, I got to stay awake because I'm, I'm a little tired today. Um, so I'm a listener. I did exactly what you said. I, I built the business. I had a lot of grit and good sales, good marketing. Here I am. I'm right around that number. I'm million, eight, three million, two and a half million, three and a half million. I'm in, I'm in that model right now, right? And my goal is how do I get to 10 plus, okay? Um, as you think about the specific steps that you would advise an advisor to take, right? Um, and I'd ask you from a client segmentation and from a delivery of client experience perspective and incorporating financial planning or not all those things, what do you believe that advisor should be thinking about doing so that the, the foundation is strong to build a 10 or 20 or $50 million a year GDC business on it? Yeah, the old segmentation is so critical. There's so much revenue that comes from the top of the book. And in most practices this size, the bottom half of clients produces low single digits. Oftentimes we find like 3%, half the clients producing only 3% of the revenue. So there's a lot of dead weight a lot of times in these firms and a lot of the you know, teams and advisors are just caught up with too many clients and too many of the wrong clients. So there really has to be a cleanse here. Practices aren't quite big enough at this phase to have their own call center. Like at, at uh, Cut Wealth, they've got the virtual planning team, right, where advisors are protected. You look at really, really large firms like Merrill Lynch, you know, they don't even compensate their advisors on clients under a certain level, 250 or half a million, whatever it is. A lot of firms have gone to that because they have a call center to keep those advisors freer. And those smaller clients are serviced differently. They don't need a full on 
uh, individual financial advisor. So there needs to be some cleaning and, and, and really just getting tight on what really is this. You know, if you're going to contain some of those clients, that's fine. It just can't take time of your really valuable advisors, especially you as an owner, you've got to dedicate more resources to where the revenue comes from. I often say your time and energy should be allocated in the same segmentation as your, your client revenue. You should be dedicating most to the top and almost nothing at the bottom. Otherwise you just dilute this and, and it dilutes the experience at the top and you lose people up there. You know, we, we've, we've seen practices come to us and say, gosh, we're losing clients. We're not sure why. Well. They're not getting a lot. <laughs> That's why yeah. they're leaving. You know, so I think Johnny, at the top. Well, yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, but what, what I'm hearing you say is um, client segmentation is key at that level, right? So figure out whether it's build a service team in your organization, right? With that, that level of scale, probably comes a little difficult. If you're at two and a half million, the bottom book is doing 10% or less of your business. You got 250,000 of revenue, which is important to that practice because $250,000 at that level might represent for the owner 15 or 20% of their take-home pay, right? Net of mm -hmm. all the business expenses, yeah. et cetera. But what you're saying is you got to kind of have to navigate that, whether it's you sell those clients, you, yep. you utilize a person in your business to kind of do that as all or part of their function, um, but you free up time and capacity to work with the best clients so that we can replicate more of them and deliver a higher value prop, Ritz-Carlton, better pricing. So when you get there, forget about, right, the inorganic stuff, right? Forget about buying a practice yeah. or building CPA partnerships for the firm and giving them clients or marketing that you might run for the firm, doing seminars or, you know, client events or, or maybe client events would be part of that. So. Is there a rule of thumb that you would use, right? So I'm a two and a half million dollar producer. I segment my business. I get down to 2.2 million of production. I only work with my 50 best, uh, I'm sorry, the top 50% of the business. Maybe it's me and another advisor or two doing that, right? Um, should that business without external forces, should it grow at 5% a year without the market, 10, 20, until you know, I don't know if there's a rule of thumb that you use, like, hey, this, this, the blood pressure is good, really good, and the heart, you know, rate is good, and this is a ideal business that now is scalable because every new client we bring in, we know we can get an extra return per new client because the health of the business and the delivery of the experience is creating its own organic growth. Hey, Quantum Growth for Financial Advisor listeners. One ask of all of you, as you know, we do these simply to help all of you grow your businesses and grow your practices, become better leaders, better advisors, more valuable to your community. Share this with a friend, give us five stars, make a comment. Uh, we'd love to get more and more listeners. The world of abundance is out there, so don't be shy to share it with other financial advisors in the industry. Thank you, as always. Yeah, I mean, to really clean this up, 
it should be possible to grow at a 20% rate. You know, we, we constantly watch this and, and keep track of this for the uh, practices we do coaching and consulting with. And our average practice growth is over 30% because they're working on these things and doing these things. So without this, it is hard to grow at that 20% rate. And, you know, when you get into multiple millions, those are pretty big numbers, but it's possible to do. There is more, to, more business to do with clients that you're leaving on the table. You, you do more for these top people, they're more satisfied. There will be more top level clients, seven figure, eight figure clients coming in the door. It happens every time, but it, it's gotta be some way to get clear at the top, to get to the, or, or clear out the bottom, to get to the top, to generate that level of, of growth. It's very possible. So people plugging along at, at you know, single digits, low teens in, in, in growth rate, it's fine, but you know, a lot of that's probably market driven, you know, just at the average uh, rate that markets go up. I mean, what, what, what are we really doing there? Uh, there should be a lot more intentional things going on with clients that helps them, which they value when we give them advice and help them implement stuff. And when we help them implement stuff, it tends to produce revenue and production in our business. So it's really pretty simple if we focus on what they want and get really good at it, and it happens to produce revenue growth, it, it, that's how people get to 20% growth at this multiple million level. It's really achievable to do. Then the organic things can happen. Then you've got a stronger foundation. You can look at the inorganic, you know, exponential quantum kind of growth, but it, it, cleaning this simple thing up, it's, it's huge. And, and you're right, it's probably more of packaging and selling smaller clients partnering with somebody that already has like a call center in place. There are practices like, like Cut and Wealth that have done this. Um, I see more of that. So it's not, we're giving up all the revenue. Maybe we're getting a percentage of that revenue that someone else is doing the work, but it's getting the work off your plate and, and moving up. We, we've seen some interesting research from the Oxley Institute, which is um, just a couple hours away from where I live in North Carolina, I learned this through the product firm, uh, First Eagle. They, they purchased some of the research and share it with advisors. They found that the typical practice in the industry has a th about 3.4 client segments. So they have like three or four different ranges of, of clients. So it might be like a platinum, gold, silver, bronze. But they're finding the fastest growing firms in the industry only have 2.3 segments of clients. Mm -hmm. So... If that's how you classify basically what these firms have done it said hey we're not really a fit to work with the silver and the bronze let's have somebody else do that work we're going to focus on the platinum and gold and we're going to be like basically supernova advisor level service where there's a high level of contact and, and touch and a lot going on with those top tier platinum people and there's still a really great level of service that's above industry average for that um you know that gold tier client those are the fastest growing practices in our industry. And they just figured out, we're just going to focus on where the revenue comes from, who we can help best sure. and not waste our time and energy on the others. Yeah. So, I mean, right there, there's growth built in just in that, that thinking alone. Yes. Uh, listeners rewind that two minutes or whatever that was there. Um, gold in there. I mean, and, and all things, again, being vulnerable, I've resisted, um, segmentation, segmenting the business, because the revenue from that bottom yes. of the book, it's hard to give it up, right? But if you don't give it up and you don't segment, it gets really hard 
to give the level of client experience to create the growth. And some of the things I heard John say, I just, I think are worth repeating. So one is he said his typical advisor is growing at around 30% a year that he coaches, right? And that's, I assume all in organic, inorganic, yes, everything, uh, market yeah. experience, et cetera. Um, I could tell we've studied our own CAGR, right? Compound annual growth rate. And over the last eight years, uh, all combined sources at a high, you know, uh, multiple to begin with, a hard, high starting point, we've grown at almost 40. So 37, 38% CAGR um, when you're, you know, chugging along doing 50 million plus is not easy uh, yeah. to actually do. Um, so it is very possible. It's different thinking and it's different steps. And, you know, I think John is one of the very best that I know who can help advisors think a little bit differently. And when you get to this phase, again, if you're right now a sub million dollar advisor, no disrespect, it might seem impossible what John's saying and what I'm saying, it might be like, ah, oh, these guys are, you know, full of, uh, full of malarkey, right? That old saying, full of malarkey. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when you start to get in this two and a half to $5 million phase of your business, um, you have to start to become conscious of it and you have to change the way that you're thinking a little bit, because like we talked about before, the phases of business growth, phase one is marketing, sales and grit, right? Phase two is this perfecting the process so that every client you get has a multiplier effect of revenue and new clients coming in because that which you do is really good. And then kind of in this sort of two and a half to five million dollar phase, I feel like you're kind of in phase two and you're starting to think about phase three and it becomes really, really, really challenging, which quite frankly is why very, very, very few advisors get north of two and a half million of production. I don't actually know a statistic, but I bet you it would be a very small part of the industry whoever gets to that level. And then it's even a smaller part that gets past the $5 million level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's because it's different work, right? And I think client segmentation, John, I think experience is one of them. And then what I'd like you to talk a little bit about is I believe at this phase, um, professional leadership, whether it be the founder of the business, he or him or herself as CEO, or whether it be an outside person, right, who you bring in or someone in your organization who starts to actually lead and not be a doer, meaning not, it's a non-financial advisor role where you've got a full-time person that's more about vision, mission, value, strategy, execution, uh, so on, et cetera. And this is the tricky part because this is where the advisor chooses to either not be an advisor anymore dramatically yeah. reduce their time and be kind of a dual threat, or they make an investment in someone else, which would actually be an admission that they can't do it all on their own. And mm -hmm. that there's somebody who's got a skill set different uh, and, and necessary than from, from what their own skill set might actually be. So long frame, but I'd love mm -hmm. to just get some perspective from you there. Yeah, it's, it, this is where the, the need for leadership really starts because you know, in this level of business, you're going to be relying on others to deliver the client experience, 
right? And, and, and you've got to get them on the same page. You've got to have some process of here's how we interact with these people. Here's what we do when we interact with them, whether it's a seasonal model where you have a, a, some different topics throughout the year, you've got to get people on the same page to execute what your firm does. And a lot of times this is on the, the, the owner at, at this stage where they've got to be able to provide a vision of where this is going. They've got to help others understand what the heck you do. And they have to help others, you know, understand the um, where this is going. That hey, we lose money when we work with the the bottom level clients. It's pretty much like taking a pile of money and lighting on fire in the parking lot. So instead of doing that, we're going to spend time hunting for opportunities with our best clients and and generating more where everyone can win. But you've got to help them do that. You've got to help them think differently. You've got to help them find those opportunities, how to position those opportunities. They might not be as good as sales as you. So they might have to observe you in action. You might have to sit in their meetings and really help them. You may have to role play and rehearse some of this stuff before it's live and in action. So there's a big need there. I think at the upper end of this, you know, four or five million, certainly over five million, um, if, if owners aren't good at this, you know, that's kind of the point where they might hire somebody and bring them in. It's an expensive role to bring somebody in with, you know, leadership experience to do it. It's not a cheap investment at all, but if you're not great at it, it it's, it's going to be a need and it definitely holds people back because you think about you invest in advisor, you get them working with clients. If they leave, it leaves a big gap. And a lot of reasons people leave is they're, you know, overworked, underappreciated, but also they just, you know, it's really goes down to like lack of leadership that exists. They're sort of on their own. They're not getting a lot of guidance. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have an incentive to, to go out and do the things that you want the firm to do. People end up leaving. You've got to retain talent. You got to attract talent. You got to retain talent is really key here because you need them to execute the firm's vision. You need them to get deliver a wow experience for clients. You need them to find business. You need them to close business for the firm. You know that makes up the revenue at the bottom uh, quickly, right? If you go find it with your top people, but it also creates that growth level of hey, we can grow by twenty percent without an acquisition or no matter what the market do, does, we can find stuff right here. And then our organic growth, inorganic growth, there's work to be done there. But a lot of that stems from that great experience. But it's not going to happen unless there is some kind of process in place. You're getting the advisors on board with the process. We see a lot of times at this firm, there's probably someone leading the operations to get the operational team to follow whatever the process is to, to execute the client experience to get the business done and processed. That's often the case, but a lot of times it's on the owner here starts to do this leadership role. And at the upper end of this, again, it's where people start to invest or outsource somebody else helping to lead the advisors just to, I mean, they're the yeah. key, right? Yep. At this stage, they are the key to this thing happening. Yeah. Part, part well said, John, part of what I found, um, and, and I think it's, you know, sometimes we have to point out the issues for our listeners, right? And the advisors that we coach. This is actually a phase in that two and a half to $5 million phase where the growth comes at a great cost, right? And when I say that, what you're now building out in the form of professional leadership, perhaps, right? Or a as you were saying, a change in your own role, 
will create less revenue because you're likely the firm's best producer in most cases. So therefore, as you segment and step out of full-time being an advisor and more into leadership, revenue likely drops some. Therefore, profits drop. And that's where a lot of advisors, why they get stuck in this range, they just go, hey, everybody stinks and no one's as good as me, so I can't find the people, right? So I, I believe it's just, it becomes different work where you're becoming a leader as opposed to an advisor and your profits will actually usually go down to be completely real during this period of time um, in order to have them dramatically go up as you get to the other side. And I think if we look at profitability, John, a one advisor business that gets to a million or a million and a half in production probably earns similar profits to a $2 million producer that has the lead advisor and let's say a full diamond with two juniors. You probably make a little more money as the owner of the business, but not a lot, but yet yeah. you're a $2 million producer and it it feels better and you're, you got more responsibility. When you get into this two and a half to $5 million phase, either the role changes or you need a, the, probably what will become the highest compensated person in your organization other than you to do some of the leadership activity. Yeah. And it will hurt margins and probably from two and a half in most cases, and again, every practice can be different, right? But to say three and a half to four, is where you'll have the biggest issue of profit margin and yes. not until you get to four to five and beyond will the investment you made right so the two and a half to four million ish is almost like man i didn't make any more money while i was doing this this was a lot of work and three four five years worth of my life that i just grinded and i made mistakes and we lost some clients and we you know it wasn't great but I got out of it, and this is where the next phase begins. I got, I, I started to figure it out at you know three and a half or four million, and now I'm almost at five, or I just crossed five, and I'm starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. There's some organic growth. My advisors have gotten better. They're yeah. delivering the experience. They're winning some outside business. All of those good things are actually occurring, um, and and you know there's a income play here, right? where you start to get to that four or five and now the profits come and that's amazing and you're making more money and your margins are probably close to what they were when you were a million or million and a half dollar producer just not a bigger uh dollar amount so you're you're in a good spot um but i think the key is the the um the investment world values a business that runs without the producer at a much higher multiple than yes. a smaller business that is, you know, identity based. I'm John yes. Cutton, I'm the advisor. And where you make your real economics on this, yes, you'll make more money. Yes, the margins will improve. But if you can get to the other side, and then our next segment will be that kind of that five to 10, and then that 10 to, you know, wherever. Um, that's where you unlock where the multiples change from a five, six, seven, eight multiple of EBITDA to a 12 to 18 multiple of EBITDA and how you build real wealth because an investor 
is willing to spend more money if they don't need to replace you. And just to kind of, I know many of our listeners already know this, some may not, but to make it clear, this is where episode one was kind of solo practitioner. Episode two was kind of like this early ensemble or maybe even a lifestyle practice, depending on where you're going. What this is, is where you start to become more of an ensemble early to ensemble practice. Mm -hmm. And it's where all the real complexity is, but if yeah. you can get through it, get to the other side with a fast growing business, with systems, with processes, with professional leadership, the ability to then scale through technology, money, meaning investment capital, right? And human capital will be kind of our next episode, but that's how you go from five to 10. And then, you know, it's all about scale from 10 beyond. It just becomes way easier to scale once you get there, but most will not get through it in my opinion, because they can't get through the complexity of the two and a half to five. And this is, this is the spot that John, I've, you know, I've helped others and you've helped others get through. And it's just a complete different business model, different thinking, different yeah. skill set, different everything. And I'd like to just kind of like, again, point our direction because we've probably got a, maybe 10 minutes or so left uh, to hit some of these things. And we can always do a part two if we needed to. But where I'd like to kind of move our direction to is so we talked about client segmentation um, and we started to talk a little bit about kind of like building out your team of specialists, right? And I'd ask you to talk a little about kind of the whole who not how concept and you know what those people that you need or what you need to change yourself into to kind of manage and navigate that complexity yeah it really is uh this is a difficult stage because i think what you said the the role the owner starts to shift you you probably need to be less of an advisor more of a owner and, and, a, and a leader as part of your role so you really got to be working with less clients and it's really all about advisors. Advisors are the most important people that you need, whether you have a diamond team structure or uh, advisors are having individual relationships with the clients and leading them. You need advisors in place to service the clients. It is absolutely critical. Then you need, there's other stuff to get done around the business. You need an operations team to handle that. There's some other, you know, if you look at other departments and products like investment products and uh, financial planning that, that may be done, which is really critical for top practices, it's what most consumers want. They want planning. There's work to be done there, right? There's a lot of work to be done. So some practice will have departments that do these things. And in these, these uh, you know, kind of level getting up to three, four, five million, there might be people that work in those departments. But uh, I, I think staying efficient there, looking at what you can outsource in these departments is key, especially investment management. So many get firms get caught up in thinking they're money managers, and that's not our business. Our business is client relationships, right? We have the relationships that keep the money here. We're not money managers. That stuff should be really outsourced. So there's a lot of profits sucked if there's too much in-house stuff going on here really should be about advisors. It should be about a support team to help get the business done and help enhance the client experience. That's really the structure here. And, um, and then it's leveraging, you know, at the end of last episode, we, we mentioned uh, EOS, 4DX, 
you know, it is a way that you can help others get on board, see the vision with something like uh, uh, EOS to help others see uh, what they need to do every day, every week, which, which is what four disciplines of execution is, is all about, you know, then leading people through these ways, you helping others see the vision, you helping others execute day to day, week to week. That is really the, uh, um, you know, some of the tool sets that help change the mindset and help, you know, some of the leader owners start to see, okay, if I'm caught in 25 client appointments every week, I can't really lead the organization and do these things. So maybe I have five or 10, and then I spend a lot of time on these really important things and helping the other advisors go to the next level sure. to be proficient, to execute. That's really what uh, the, the role becomes about. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing you say there, John, and I'm in complete alignment, it's, it's, it's then about kind of, you know, the professionalization, right, of the business. And, you know, as you know, we've talked about EOS and 40X. We use e EOS, uh, the entrepreneurial operating system in our business. So how do you now start to actually run? And, you know, it's funny that we call it, right? An ensemble or a, a enterprise, a budding enterprise. It's a business now. It's not a yes. practice. And that's really yes. what it is. Um, you know, a practice is something you run and you've got people who help you. Um, an enterprise is something just like a, you know, a company that trades on the New York Stock Exchange. It's got a marketing yeah. division. It's got an asset management division. It's got a R&D division, et cetera. So in a wealth management firm, it starts to become things like we will all, you know, run asset management the same way. There's a system and process. We'll deliver financial advice the same way. There's someone who's in charge of that. We will do business development the same way. We will do client events at these intervals. So it's being able to have leaders run, I call them verticals in the business, like parts of the business um, that have leaders. And at this phase, you know, to be real, can you really afford at 2.8 million of production with two or three advisors and a couple of staff people in your business, can you afford to have a $300,000 business development head? Probably not. Can you afford to have, you know, a financial planning department with two CFAs and two traders and uh, et cetera? Probably not. So you kind of get into this period where you either bite the bullet, hire the right who, right? Um, and spend the money and it hits your PL, or you take more of it on yourself, knowing that it'll just go a little slower because you have other things to do, or you consider taking someone in your firm and taking a deep um, responsibility for their development and overseeing it, but help he or she be able to own something at a lower price point that they're probably not the ideal who for yet. But can your leadership skills create the right who so that they do become the leader of that vertical in the business? And what's interesting is I go back, I'm trying to reflect what I did early on was I did as much as I could myself. I worked hard and I took on a lot of things. And then I brought people into roles that probably weren't ready, but they had the grit, the determination, the desire to do it. And I taught them and held them accountable and we weren't great at it. 
right? They, they, they weren't the best at building CPA relationships, but they were good enough. They weren't perfect to be the advisor, but they were good enough. They weren't perfect to do business development or run money or, you know, you name it, but they were good enough. And then leadership skills and time helped them become very good, where in some cases they're the right who's right now. And they're running those things and they were homegrown. And that's the complexity and why that phase takes a lot of time. And, you know, there's other ways to do it. You can buy the talent by merging, right? Mm -hmm. um, or you can buy the talent by overspending, or you can do it the hard way by gritting through it. And that's just a decision that you need to make as a business person as to how much free cash flow or profit do you need or want to take out of the business today? And what type of investments do you want to make to get to the other side? when you get to the other side john and i know you know this so i'm kind of on the other side i was able to go out and hire someone for a million dollars a year is my total cost he became a partner etc who became my president and he has his name's jake dunlap by the way and jake um has 27 years of experience and accomplished a ton without ever knowing me so he was a ready-made who but it cost a million bucks plus in that case, to get someone at that level. And I needed that person and I didn't have 10 years to develop someone yeah. to get to be as good as he was immediately. But if I went back 10 years ago, there's no way I could have afforded him. It might've cost for him or someone like him 10 years ago, a half million dollars, but I still wouldn't have been in a spot that I would have been comfortable making that investment, right? So if I had to do it all over again, John, the reason I've shared that story is I probably would have overinvested in him and paid a half million dollars for someone like that 10 years ago um, prior to my business really needing it. And that would have made me in hindsight way more profitable and have a way bigger business and better business. Uh, probably more hair on my head than I do today, um, et cetera. So I know I'm babbling here, but maybe there's some learning for the audience to go, you know, do you grit through it and develop someone? Do you do it all on your own? Or do you just figure out a way to either partner, merge, join another team, or do you just bite the bullet? You know, I, I, I'll just give you an interesting piece, John. People will go out and go, I'm going to go buy a million dollars of GDC from another advisor. And I'm going to go to a bank and I'm going to borrow three or three and a half million dollars to buy it. Or I'm going to take it out of my bank account or my savings or hold a note and pay back because you're confident that it'll be a good investment. And you're buying something that will provide income to pay it back. Right. So I would pose the question, if you have a high speed, low drag leader who's amazing, but doesn't bring any revenue with he or she. Right. But they could drive the heck out of what you're trying to do does it make sense to go to a bank and take a loan or take 500 grand out of your bank account or cash flow out of your business to invest in that person and do you not get a better return on that investment than just going out and buying a million dollars worth of revenue and my last last thing and then we'll look to wrap here johnny um is you can also do it fractionally right and yes. not to tell you know john you or your firm extraordinary advisors uh, too hard, but it could be John, it could be somebody else, but can you get some of that without buying the whole cow and just going, Hey, I'm going to pay you X from a coaching perspective 
and mm -hmm. you can help me develop some people on my team so that the learning curve can be shorter and you could just take a shortcut in a lot of the things that we're talking about. So I'd love to give you the floor to kind of wrap up and we didn't exactly land the plane. Maybe we, we make next one a continuation of the two and a half to five yeah. and we can start going on the five to 10. I think so. There's, there's so much here. There's so much here to unpack and you're right. It really gets down to developing to me, the, the developing the advisors is critical, right? You need them to be million dollar producers on their own. You've got to help them get there. And the quicker you can help them get there, the more this is going to work, the more you can duplicate helping others be legitimate producers that create a great value and great client experience, the faster you can get there, the faster you can grow. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw out the greatest quote I've ever heard about leadership, the best way to think about it, which will really, you know, frame the importance of this and set up the next session and the next phases of 5 million plus, 10 million plus that we're going to talk about in future episodes. Um, this comes from um, Coach Kimberly from our team. Uh, she came to us from NASA. She was a leader at NASA and she has lots of mm. Uh, really neat leadership um, techniques and skills that that she has, but um, she references the statue of David. And Michelangelo took this great piece of rock and he knew that statue was in there. His job was to carve away the excess pieces of rock to get down to the statue of David. And as a leader, that's your role as a leader. You've got to chip away the excess rock to get down to that star that each person on your team is capable of being, especially your advisors. How can you help them get there and be that proficient, awesome advisor? They're not going to be as good as you, but they're still going to be really, really good. But how can you chip away the excess to get down to that great advisor that's really your role or you might need to outsource or invest in somebody to help you do that that is one of the critical things and it is the key to leapfrogging this five million plus and getting to the next levels of this business love it super love love that and one of my favorite uh quotes now as well so thank you to coach kimberly <laughs> that's amazing and if, uh nasa is a pretty uh special place right so uh some learnings from there for sure so um, I thought this was uh, a great podcast. I hope our listeners felt the same. I think we will pick it up a little bit uh, where we left off. I don't want to make this one too long, but uh, I'd listen to this one a couple of times, guys. It's it, it, we're we're actually going super right deep. This is a mile deep, yeah. in my opinion. We can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, but it's different thinking is I think really what it comes down to, and it's a challenge, and it is not immediate gratification. Uh, is what it's all about. And there's just so much to continue to unpack. So with that, um, to our listeners, thank you uh, for joining another episode here of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest, uh, please don't keep us a secret. Shoot us a note and we'll see if we can get you or that special someone on. Mr. Randall, thanks for always uh, for joining us and um, some amazing nuggets of gold today. And uh, looking forward to uh, filming slash uh, recording the next one together. So thanks for being on, Johnny. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Got it. Make it a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app 
and we'll see you next week.